Blog Talk Radio. Shalom and Shabbat Shalom. Welcome to Talk, Teach, and Tesra Radio. This is where we speak the unadulterated and the uncompromising word of truth. My name is Abel Yahu. I'm just a humble servant of Yahweh. I speak to you in the name of Yahusha HaMashiach, our elder brother, our high priest, our eternal high priest, and our eternal king, our Melchizedek, our Malek, Tesedek. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the comparison of the pagan celebration of Ashtar or Easter as to how the pagans and Satan try to combat the religious teachings of Yahweh and his appointed feast. We're going to go over today a lot of ancient history pertaining to how man has wanting, especially the heathens, the Gentiles, year in and year out, as to how they disobey the instructions and the teachings of Yahweh to select their holidays over the set-apart of the Kodesh days that Yahuwah has commanded us to observe. So you can see why the pagan calendar was brought in to try to replace the timetable of Yahuwah. So on today we're going to be discussing the difference between the pagan celebration of Ashtar and the righteous Peshach of Yahweh. Uh, for those of you who would like the notes for today's show, you can email me at talkteachtestify at gmail.com. For those individuals who have family members that don't understand why you don't keep the Easter egg hunt day, you can play this message. You can email me at talkteachtestify at gmail.com if you like an MP3 format of today's teaching. So that way your children, your family, whoever acts, they can understand that you are on the narrow path in this journey, this exodus experience to coming back into the truth. Hallelujah. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and proclaim the name of Yahweh with our dear brother, Brother Bennett. Soon after that, we'll go ahead with today's teachings. Hallelujah. We thank him for bringing us back into the full knowledge of his truth. And there arose a king in Egypt who knew not Yahweh. And the fear of the Hebrews fell upon the people of the land. So Pharaoh set taskmasters over the people of the land who laid heavy burdens on them which were bitter to bear. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Most High. And he heard them from beyond the everlasting hills. In time he raised up unto them a deliverer whose name was Masha. Masha grew mighty and was taught in all the wisdom of Egypt. But he was a man who chose not to live out his days in the pleasures of Mizraim, and so answered the call of his destiny. 
And he came to the mountain of Alakim, which was called Horeb, where he saw a flame of fire burning around a bush, but the bush was not consumed. The Moloch of the highest appeared to him and spoke from out of the midst of the fire, saying, I have seen the affliction of my people in Egypt and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And therefore I will send you unto Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Masha asked, when I come to the people and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say? The scriptures declare that Elohim said, Ahaya, Ashar, Ahaya. Meaning I am that I am, I will be who I will be. He said moreover to him, thou shalt you say to the children of Israel, Yahuwah, the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob have sent me unto you. This is my name forever and my memorial unto all generations. And the children of Israel became vain in their imaginations and corrupt in all their ways so that they sought to replace the name of Yahuwah with the name of Adonai, meaning Lord. And many forgot his name and went after Baal, which also means the Lord. And from that time, many false names for our Creator have gone out into the world, following us into these last days and creating a controversy among the nations. Our Heavenly Father, who desires that his elect be not ignorant of his name, nor that we should be moved by the signs of the times, but that we should be steadfast in the truth, not wavering nor tossed and turned by the mouths of men. For some say that his name is Yahweh, while others say that it is Jehovah. Still others foolishly declare that it cannot be known. But we who are called and chosen have a sure word of revelation which has come down from the Father of light would not have his people to walk in darkness. For I declare that we are the children of light. For he has revealed through the Ruach. Take the original vowel sounds A and U, which are from the three pure vowel sounds which make up all the Semitic languages, and apply them to the four Hebrew letters, Yod, He, Wa, He, and the name of Yahuwah is revealed. Therefore, let the name of Yahuwah rise upon the islands of Indonesia and echo beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. Let his magnificent name soar above the heights of the Himalayas and rest upon the shores of Sri Lanka. The voice of a messenger rides upon the clouds and races on the wings of the wind, saying, Send tidings of his name to them that dwell in Ghana. Let the name of Yahuwah shake the land of Africa. Declare his name in Zambia, Tanzania. Let it be shouted from Mozambique. Send messengers to sail across the Nile and awaken them that dwell in the Sudan. Let the name of Yahuwah invade the mountains of Afghanistan. 
and rock the whole Middle East. Let his mighty name stretch forth with wings across Europe and Asia and cause them to tremble and sleep in China. Oh, let his name circle over the Atlantic, the Pacific, and all the oceans of the world to touch the shores of America. That his name might ring from the peaks of the Appalachian Mountains to the end of the Rio Grande. Let his name extend out over the continental divide and journey down to field Brazil. Oh, let Yahuwah's elect publish his name in every nation and kingdom on the face of the earth. Let it be published in every country, in every city, and in every state. Yea, let it mount up and ride upon the wings of the eagles. Let it glide with the falcons, the hawks, and the crows. Let it reach up beyond the heights of the condors. That his name might touch the stars and fill the cosmos. Let the Malachim come down from the Shamayim. Let them ride upon the chariots of fire. Let them circle the cities. Let them stand upon the walls. Sound an alarm to the ends of the earth. And lift up the trumpet to declare Yahuwah is mighty. Our king is strong. He has subdued the nations. He has crowned the sun. Let everything that has breath sing praises to his name. Let everything with breath praise the name of Yahuwah. Finally, when the end comes, when all things have been put under his feet, and all the nations have been gathered to meet in the city of gold, which is planted in paradise, we will all lift up together with one voice, magnify the name of Yahuwah forever. Hallelujah. The uh, powerful message of Brother Bennett proclaiming the name of Yahweh. Uh, just a couple of announcements, and then we'll go straight into uh, today's instruction. Today is Sunday, April the 12th, 2020, according to the man-made Gregorian calendar. Um, it is also what they celebrate as Ashtar or Easter. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that on today. This is the um, the pagan tradition um, of their memorial honoring the pagan god known as Tammuz and his mother slash wife, Samariah. So we're going to be uh, discussing that on today. We're also going to be talking about what was said in John 1 and 1, okay, um, the word and what they are really celebrating, the Trinity, the pagan Babylonian Trinity, the uh, the, the pagan virgin birth. Um, they, uh, we're going to be discussing that on today as well. Okay, so uh, that's what today is. It is the 23rd day of the first Kodash. Uh, I know many of you had your what we call the Shabbat, hallelujah, uh, that is the uh, perpetual covenant that we're supposed to keep between Yahweh and, of course, his children. We are his children, the children of light. 
So we are to keep the uh, particular um, Shabbat and out that you was refreshed, that you was able to spend time with, uh, you know, other people through social media or through cellular phone or even with your immediate family in your home, that you was able to go over the scriptures and the Torah of Yahweh. So this was definitely our time to reflect and to detox and to get ready for the up-and-coming week. Okay, so uh, these are the announcements uh, for today's show. First and foremost, this show is brought to you by SALT, the Sisters Abiding in Light and Truth, also by the Jones Family Foundation in Nevada, the Palmer Family Foundation in California, and the Bullock Family Foundation out in Arizona. We did a Zoom teaching instruction. Hallelujah, on this morning. Uh, I'd like to thank all of those that attended, uh, and we do it almost every day. So I I will uh, do a Zoom teaching every day this week. Hallelujah. So we're going to do Zoom teachings at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you over in London, uh, it will start at... 1600 hours, which is 4 o'clock p.m. Uh, your time, okay? Uh, so it would be 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. If you're on the West Coast, it starts at 7 o'clock a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, we do a teaching um, every day. I'm doing it through Zoom. I'm excited about it. Uh, and we come up with different topics to talk about pertaining to the word of Yahweh. Uh, I do reviews about what I've discussed on the radio show, and you'll be able to see it. So I will be able to, uh, whether I'm writing on the whiteboard or I'm showing you documents and instructions, uh, even the paleo-Hebrew writings of our dear father Yahweh, um, we do all of that through the Zoom. Now, if you'd like to join our particular Zoom uh, meetings, you can email me at talkteachtestify at gmail.com, and I will be able to bring you in so that way you can, uh, you know, join us. I, I, would, I would love that. Hallelujah. And uh, for those who are coming in consistently to the Zoom meetings, Tuda unto you, um, you know, the rooms are, are, you know, the space is filling up kind of fast, so we are very excited about that. Also, um, here's another announcement to, to talk about. On next Thursday, Thursday, I will be doing a Talk, Teach, and Test My Radio instruction I don't know what it's going to be, but I will be on the air on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Thursday, right, we usually do it at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I will be doing it same time, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. If you are on the West Coast, it will start at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we do this at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. 
11 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. If you are unable to listen to the teaching live, you can always go into the archives. Just Google up Talk, Teach, and Tesla Radio. It should lead you to either blogtalkradio.com or if you would like to go into one of the podcasts that they have through Google, you can do that as well. Or just email me if you want me to put it in MP3 format so you can download it onto your phone, tablet, or your computer. So I'll do that for you as well. But you have to email me um, at talkteachtestify.gmail.com. So I may do that for you. Okay? Hallelujah. Let's see. Do we have any more announcements? I believe that is it. Uh, Please, if you can, please pray for our brother Juan. Uh, He is going through this particular time teaching his children uh, about the knowledge of the truth, and they're trying to hold on to the customs of Easter. So please keep him in your tefla, keep him in your prayer, okay, Uh, as we go forth um, into this wilderness experience. So he's having a hard time trying to speak uh, to his children about it. And a lot of us, uh, most of us are having issues with our children because we taught them one thing, and now we're coming into the knowledge of the truth, and tr- we're trying to steer them in the right direction, and they still want to hold on um, to the freeway instead of coming into the narrow way. And so that narrow path, and this is what we're trying to bring our children and many others into. Now, there is a debate, of course. You're going to see a lot of bickering, a lot of fighting. And we should not be fighting about this holiday that's called Easter or Ashtar that, or Esther. Uh, I hope that some of you got the clue there. Uh, this particular holiday, number one, is not even uh, on the, how could I say, it? It, it's, it's not on the list of appointed feasts in Leviticus 23. As a matter of fact, Christians would tell you, oh, yeah, you don't have to do those anymore because uh, Jesus took care of all of that. And not once did you read at all in the renewed covenant that he did that. Okay, so that would be, of course, we know that's a lie right there. Now, people would tell you, oh, yeah, Easter's in the Bible. I I read it before. I I read it and... I know that Easter is in there. I saw it in the book of Book of Acts when it talks about they was, uh, you know, they they had killed Yalkahanan or they killed John, and now they're looking for Peter, right? Okay, let's look at where it's at, and let's discuss this Easter, this Easter celebration that they're talking about. We know a lot of people today. Right, if the churches was open, there was no quarantine of this coronavirus, quote unquote. People would be piling up in the churches, dressing casket sharp, trying to have this fashion show in honor of Simarias of Ashtar, and yet and still they don't even know it. It is such. A danger to understand that 
Jesus or Jesus was this name was a fictional name that was created by Constantine. On today's lesson, here's the disclaimer. The things that I will present unto you, they will brought, be brought unto you precept upon precept, line upon line. Here little, there little. There will be a particular point that I will refer back to Roman Catholic history. It's the only to show you that the paganism of Easter does exist. Yahuwah never, ever took an abominable thing of pagan worship and made it his own. He said in the book of Yahshayahu, the book of Isaiah, woe to those who say that good is evil and evil is good. Woe to those who try to make bitter sweet and sweet bitter. The book of Acts, chapter 12. This is where we begin our lesson on today. I pray in the name of Yahweh and in the name of his son, his dear beloved son, Yahusha HaMashiach, that we will be able to receive the hakmah, the wisdom that he has for us. Here's the reading of his, uh, the, the writings of the physician, the doctor who we know as Luke. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his, name, um, his hands to vex certain of the congregation which is called the Kahal. And he killed Yacub, not James, Yacub, the brother of Yaukahanan, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Yaudin, he proceeded further to take Kepha also. Look what it says in brackets. I read from the King James Version. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Anytime you see something in brackets is an added commentary. It wasn't actually written during that time, but it was added later. Then were the days of unleavened bread. It's talking about the Chag Hot Mazat. Keep that in mind. Verse 4 says, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternarim of soldiers. To keep him intended after Easter, I'm just speaking from the King James Version, intended after Easter to bring him forth to the people. From the Et Saphir, it says, intended after Peshach to bring him forth to the people. The ISR, the scriptures, the version of 1998, it says that he was delivered to four squads of soldiers to watch over him, intended to bring him before the people after Passover. Okay, what's the problem here? The King James Version says Ashtar or Easter. When in all actuality, they intended to keep Kepha or Peter after Peshach, after the Passover. What is the Passover? 
Well, you can see how the Roman Catholic Church and their Holy Bible is already trying to contradict the set-apart times of Yahweh. Uyaikra, Leviticus 23. Here's the list of the Moedim that we're supposed to keep unto Yahweh. Verse number five. Listen. And the 14th yom of the first Kodash, between the evenings, the Hebrew word is Beni Harebin, is Yahuwah's Passover. Not at evening, brothers and sisters, between the evenings. It is a moment in that day in which they were supposed to keep Pashak or Passover. Even when they were in the wilderness after they came out of Misraim, Masha and the nation of Yasharia continued to keep Pashak. Yes, they ate the lamb after they were delivered out of Misraim. Yahuwah did not have the Pashak or the Passover meal with the Tamedim because he was the Pashak. He ate what they call the remembrance meal, fading from the 13th day of the first month, coming into the 14th day. Brothers and sisters, the 14th day of the first month is not the Passover. It's between the evenings of the 14th day. So a lot of us are in error already, saying that the 14th day, the whole entire 24 hours of that day is the Pashak. It is not. We read between the evenings. This, number one, kills the new moon doctrine. Why? Because you cannot go between the evenings with the help or the assistance of the moon. It takes the shamash or the sun to do that. So for those of you who look at the new moon and say, oh, yeah, now it's Passover because the moon is telling us you are already following the ways of the heathens. When you were told in the book of Yeram Yahud, the book of Jeremiah chapter 10, that you are not to learn the way of the Gentiles and of the heathens. Why? Because Yahuwah has showed you in Torah how to worship him through obedience. Okay? So you cannot get the evenings, plural, through the moon. That's done through the sun. What does between the evenings mean? From dusk to dawn. That's between the evenings. From the cool of the day until the day becomes dark. That's between the evenings. That's when they had time. If you read the book of Shamu, chapter 12, they had time to kill the lamb, take the blood, Applied on the two side posts and the upper door posts of their homes. Then they was to prepare the lamb, roast it in fire, eat it with bitter herbs and with unleavened bread, which is called mazah. The historian, Josephus, says only during this time, during the Chaghat Mazah, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in which the Yahudim ate unleavened bread. That makes sense. They only ate unleavened bread 
during those seven days that you will read later on in verse number six of Leviticus chapter 23. Why are we going over once again the appointed feast of Yahweh? To show you the counterattack of the enemy with his calendar. I'm going to bring to you now some historical facts pertaining to how the pagans expressed their religious ways. Ancient man's primitive pagan religious urges found expression in a variety of beliefs, ideas, and practices that center around a sense of a supernatural other world. This world, though invisible, was believed by pagan man to have power over his everyday life. Since the dawn of their religious consciousness, most of us, or all of us, have been in religious consciousness in the house of bondage and constriction, Mizraim, Egypt, pagan men and women regarded the supernatural world with a mixture of all fear and hope. So they came into what we call mystery religions. Their hope in offering these sacrifices and prayers was to ward off catastrophe, ensure fine hunting, obtain bountiful harvests, and live again beyond the grave. Primitive pagan man sought to understand the elements of nature as powers to be worshipped, since they affect his life so directly. Let's talk about the seasons in which primitive worship was being done, and you should be able to see the similarities with the Christian world of how they keep the pagan origins of Easter and how we have been delivered from that, and we can see the truth behind it. Now, when you think about the springtime, what do people think about when they think about the springtime? Is a time to what? To be born again. This is a time in which things are being resurrected. These are things uh, that happen during this time that they feel things start to grow. This is when the pagan man worships their God the most because they're looking for greenness or a particular harvest to come into their loins. Now, for those individuals uh, who already know the teachings and the instructions which pertains to Easter, we're going to go and talk about the steps which they do during this time and this season and how it contradicts the Debar, the word of Yahweh. The Easter ham, for instance, number one, we're not supposed to eat the swine from the rooter to the tutor, right? So a lot of people, they have already said Jesus 
which is the earthly pig in land terminology, that he made it okay. Okay, that would be the pagan mindset because they don't know what they're saying. They think that the east, that the earthly pig said it's okay to eat the pig. The Easter ham comes from the fact back in, uh, you know, Babylonian times that Ashtar or Simarias, or she's also known as Easter, the queen of heaven. She's known as Mother Earth. I'm quite sure a lot of you have heard it else. Well, this particular evil wife of Nimrod, when her particular son, Tammuz, was killed by a boar, she ordered in all the land of Shinir, in all the land of Babylon, that they were to kill a pig, kill it and eat it, in memory of Tammuz. Who is Tammuz, you say? Well, Tammuz is the son of Simarias. Simarias mysteriously, quote, unquote, after the death of her husband, Nimrod, she wanted to have a child. So she, through her virgin state, I'm quite sure you heard of this story before, not sleeping with no man, was able to, to have a son. And that son, because she got impregnated by the sun rays, quote unquote, he became Tammuz. Now, I haven't read anywhere in the word whatsoever about Tammuz. I don't know what he's talking about. Who is this person who they call Tammuz? Well, Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 8, because Yahuwah makes mention of this pagan Elohim. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 8. Let's start with verse 13. He said also unto me, turn ye yet again, and you shall see greater abominations that they do. Now, first of all, Yahuwah has Stated and labeled what they're doing as greater abominations. Verse 14. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of Yahuwah's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Now listen to this. Tammuz is a Phasian deity. Strong's Concordance, H8542. He was also worshipped by who they call the Sumerians. Okay? Just to bring that out. This was the deity, listen, of food or vegetarian, or vegetation. This was done so that when they worship Tammuz, that there will be a bountiful hunt, um, harvest. Pagan worship, done out of desperation. There sat women weeping for Tammuz. Tammuz represents the sun, the S-O-N. 
You'll get it in a moment. Verse 15 says, Then he said unto me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn you yet again, and you shall see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of Yahuwah's house, and behold, the door of the temple of Yahuwah, between the porch and the slaughtering place, were about 25 men, with their backs toward the temple of Yahuwah, and their faces toward the east. Listen, and they worshiped the sun, the Shemesh, toward the east. Now, there was a Babylonian god that they used to worship, and his name was Shemesh. That tells you automatically that they worshiped the sun because they took the Hebrew name or the Hebrew word for sun, which is Shemesh, and they made it a name. They started to worship the sun. The sun brought the harvest. The sun brings sunshine. The sun brings the light. So they worship the creation and not the creator. This becomes a greater abomination unto Yahweh. The Toabah, that's the Hebrew word for abomination, it is a disgusting act, especially when it is channeled toward an idol or through idolatry. It is an abominable custom thing that they would do. The rituals were disgusting and filthy morally unto Yahweh. Just to break down what abomination is. And so these abominations, if you read the book of Yahshayahu, these abominations is going to cause the earth as we know it to become desolate later on. That's why we call it the abomination of desolation. That's what talked about in the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel. Because of the worship all over the world of this Easter, of this Ashtar, worshiping Tammuz and worshiping the sun, that's why they do sun worship. Oh, Resurrection Sunday is another name to repackage the pagan ritual that they're doing. It is a form of mystery religion. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. So what is this mystery religion? What do they call it in Christian terminology? Have you heard of the logos? Well, that's what the mystery religion is. It is the logos. You always hear these pastors, bishops, chief apostles, master prophets, uh, these archbishops, etc., etc., always talk about the logos being the written word. Well, they're not lying about the written word. It's just not the written word of Yahuwah. It is the written word of Gad or God. God or Gad is another name for Baal. It is the, watch this, the Babylonian or the Phoenician deity for good luck and for fortune. That's why on the back of your $1 bill you'll read, and Gad we trust. They don't trust in Yahuwah, they trust in good luck, and they trust in fortune. They trust in the love of the money. That's why you see that on the back of your $1 bill, as well as the Egyptian pyramid. Because 
it is the transference of mystery religion. Reloving money is a religion. Why do you think these particular pastors are such in a panic and an outrage right now? Still send your tithes and your offerings. They do it not for the love of Yahuwah. Those are your real Pharisees. They do it for the love of the money. Now let's talk about the logos. Um, I discussed it earlier in the Zoom meeting, and we're going to resume on it tomorrow. The Babylonian Trinity was accepted by the Romans and especially toward the Roman Catholic Church four centuries after Yahusha died, was buried, and resurrected. The Logos is not the fulfillment of Yahuwah's predestinated plan for salvation. It is not. Yahukahanan, or John the Revelator, when he wrote the book of John, or the book of Yahukahanan, it was not the Logos that he had in mind. It was the Debar, the word of Yahuwah, that he had in mind. From the 4th century to today, the tradition and the reasoning under the influence of pagan Greek philosophers such as Plato and Aristotle, all of these pagan Greek philosophers who stole from Egyptian philosophy. For those of you who don't know, philosophy didn't start in Greece or Athens or Rome or even Macedonia. Philosophy started in Egypt, which they got theirs from the Babylonians. The Abigdon Dictionary of Living Religions, page 767, gives us the clarity and the reality of what the Trinity is. The Trinity is the dogma. Listen, it has been formulated in 4th century church councils that Christians worship one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm quite sure many of you have heard that terminology time and time again. You heard it. You read it in the book of Matthew. The Roman Catholic Church placed that there. They put it there so that you could believe in the Trinity. Listen to what else they did. Under pressure to explain to a hostile Roman world how Christians counted themselves as monotheists, Christian apologists combined stogic, platonic understanding of the term logos in order to maintain that the Son was both God's own self-expression and a being distinct from him. So they're going to formulate a particular concoction as to how this makes sense 
of the Father being the Son and the Son being the Holy Ghost. We're going to make this mystery religion, we're going to use propaganda to make this work. We have to introduce and keep the people under stagnation through pagan religion so that they will not be able to obtain the truth. Because once they do it, they're going to be set free, they're going to have liberty, and they won't listen to government rule. They will listen to us if we have them to fear the Trinity. Trinity, from the Greek perspective, from the Romans, was Hellenism. That's what your past, well, not yours, but that's what the pastors and the bishops, they are continuing to push for, Hellenism upon the masses of the people. They're pushing pagan philosophy. The logos defined by Christians according to the interpretations of pagan-influenced philosophers, this is to promote the anti-Mashiach, or people will say the Antichrist, not knowing that the Christ they serve is the Antichrist. This was done to promote a false God-man-savior, or they, what they call it, a demigod, if you will. And that's who Jesus or Jesus is, if you look at it. And the Hebrew mindset never entertained such things. They knew who the true Elohim was. From the Encyclopedia Britannica, Volume 7, page 449. The logos in the Greek means word or reason. In Greek philosophy and theology, it is the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. Listen, this is from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Though the concept defined by the term logos is found in Greek, Indian, Egyptian, and Persian philosophy and theological systems, it becomes particularly significant in Christian writings and doctrines to describe or define the role of Jesus Christos, you know him today as Jesus Christ, as the principle of God active in the creation, in the continuation structuring of the cosmos, and in revealing the divine plan of salvation to man. Did y'all get that? They knew that the word is the predestinated plan of salvation for man. They knew that. They were trying to make sense of it using Greek, Indian, Egyptian, and Persian philosophies in theological systems. It was particularly significant in Christian writings and doctrines to describe or define the role of Jesus Christ as the principle of God active in the creation. What are they talking about? Let's go to Adashi chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. 
you will read, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. The pagan translators, they put that in their wrong because they took the word Elohim. Oh, yeah, that's plural. So that means it had to be him and someone else. That's like saying the word people. It can be singular. Yahuwah spoke to a people. Or plural. I'm going to speak to seven people. So they took Elohim out of his singular form and put it in his plural form. Okay? So that's what they are doing in this regard. Okay. So let's continue to read what the Logos is. The Logos underlines the basic Christian doctrine of the pre-existence of Jesus. The identification of Jesus with the Logos was further developed in the early church, but more on the basis of Greek philosophy than the Old Testament writings. The concept of the Logos was based on Greek philosophy ideas, not on Hebrew understanding, but rather on pagan philosophy. Is a book that you should get by A.H. Sae called The Religions of Ancient Greece and Babylonia. It clearly tells us in this book that the Greek philosophy and its ideas were developed in Alexandria, Egypt. They're right. After Alexander the Great had invaded Misraheem, after that was done, then guess what? Then, when the Greeks invaded it, they invaded their books. And they went into the Egyptian schools and made the Egyptian philosophy their philosophy. Okay? Just to get you caught up to speed there. Now, the religions of ancient Greece and Babylonia... On page 229 and 230, it says that many of the theories of Egyptian religion, modified and transformed, no doubt, have penetrated into the theology of Christian Europe and formed, as it were, part of the wolf and the web of moderate religious thought. Christian theology was largely organized and nurture in the schools of Alexandria. You got to get that. Alexandria, that was the capital of Egypt at the time by Alexander the Great. And they practiced Hellenism. Who you think Cleopatra was? 
She was a Greek who was made queen of Egypt. Alexandria was not only the meeting place of East and West, it was also the place where the decrepit theology of Egypt was revivalized by contact with the spectacular philosophy of Greece. Perhaps, however, the indebtedness of Christian theological theory, ancient, watch this, to ancient Egyptian dogma is nowhere more striking than in the doctrine of the Trinity. Brother, what does this have to do with today's lesson on uh, on Easter or Ashtar? Definitely speaks to us about paganism and how the Trinity, the virgin birth, and the pagan religious year comes to a full circle. Let's read how they do it in season by season, year after year. In the springtime, for instance, the pagan man sought fertility for himself and for his land. Bountiful crops would assure food for himself and his household. It is during this season of the year that the goddess he worshipped, Queen of Heaven, Ashtar, Easter, was fertilized, the goddess he worshipped was fertilized by the god he worshipped. So this is a season of pagan fertility. That's what Valentine's Day leads up to. The hunter, Cupid, right? Nimrod, who was the hunter before Yahuwah. Killing everybody, not with love, but with shooting everybody or killing everybody who loved Yahuwah. He was the hunter. He hunted those who loved Yahuwah. In the summer, the the pagan man worshipped the goddess because in some way he lost the companion of the god he worshipped because it's getting hotter. It's starting to wither all of the harvest that he had priorly worked hard for. In the autumn, the sun starts to go away. The days grow shorter and the nights grow longer. The goddess that the pagan man worshipped began weeping for the missing god he worshipped. That's where you get the women weeping for Tammuz. At the winter solace, the sun as is at its darkest point, now the sun is coming back to life. The days are growing longer now. The nights are getting shorter. Life is assured for another year because the goddess he worshipped, who had been fertilized at the previous equinox, gave birth to a son at the winter solace. 
This is why they celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. And there were other gods born on December 25th, too. I'm sorry, Krishna, Zeus. That's just to name a few. So the God is reborn. The pagan religious year had came to a full circle, and then at springtime again, that's when the goddess who he worshipped married her son slash husband. This is why the queen of heaven marries Tammuz. This is who she fertilized in order to refertilize the earth. The worship of ancient pagan trinity, the mother, the husband, and the son slash husband, would continue in a cycle of worship in pagan man's religious years perpetually. Notice the rituals that they do during the springtime the summer, the fall, and the winter. They try to conflict with the appointed feast that Yahuwah has set up. The mystery religions shows the annual decay of vegetation as the death of a divine youth over whom a goddess mourned. Later, the celebrations were done with joy as the reborn youth returned. This is why they put a lot of focus on Easter, is the resurrection of the youth, the sun. This is why they do sun worship, the anticipation and their participation at these rituals at the appointed time of the sun was believed by pagan man to cleanse the devotees of their sins and mystically unite them with their gods. The pagan ceremonies generated powerful emotions. Do you get that? Religion operates on emotionalism. That's not the mindset of the Hebrew. The worship of the pagan gods have flourished since the beginning of time. This is how these Pastors, bishops, they use the emotional scheme to pull in their victims. It's witchcraft. And you not you know what witchcraft is. Witchcraft is basically rebellion against Yahweh. The pagan worship of mystery still endures and it is flourishing. In the Christian world, every year there's a pagan ceremony celebrated even today. They call this day in pagan ancient worship the worship of the goddess of the dawn. This pagan rite still set today according to the equinox of the spring is more familiarly known to this deceived world, repackaged and resold to the Christian world and to the world beyond that as Easter. The New International Dictionary of 
of the Christian Church by J.D. Douglas. He wrote this in 1974 on page 322. He says that Easter is the celebration of Christ's resurrection. Although the scriptures make no provision for the observance of Easter as the day of resurrection, all the evidence suggests that the celebration of the death and resurrection of Christ began at a very early date in the history of the church. Probably as early as the apostolic age. It was seen also that the Christian of the first century consciously sought to create a Christian parallel to the Jewish Passover, since the close relationship between the significance of that event in the Old Testament and the crucifixion in the New Testament made the transformation of that Jewish feast into Easter to make it both logical and easy. Now, this is written in the New International Dictionary of the Christian Church. After 100 A.D., Easter, Pentecost, and Epiphany became the final parts of the church year. Do we understand the words that we say, oh, I had an epiphany. Where do you think they got that from? Easter does not come from the scriptures. You heard what they did. They wanted to mix or have a parallel of the newly invented way of Christianity and plug it to the Yahudin perspective or the nation of Yasharia of Peshach. This person could not even understand. He said the Jewish Passover. The people of Yahuda or from uh, Judea were not called Jews, or they were not Jewish. Ish means to be like, to be like the Jews, the Europeans, the Ashkenazis, the Khazarians. Let's keep reading. From the Reader's Digest Encyclopedia Dictionary, that was written in 1966, the word transformation means to give a different form or appearance, to change the character, the nature, or the condition of something. A transformation is any change or the act of transforming or the state of being transformed. You know what Paul said, let us be conformed into this world, but be ye transformed. That means there should be a dramatic change. In our lives A different form A different A change of character Nature or condition Now Going back to the New International Dictionary Of the Christian Church uh, Still on page 322 By J.D. Douglas He says that the early church Who were mainly Yahudin That were not only Keeping one day in a week as separate, 
but also they was marking the year with festivals, like the Peshach, the Chag Hat Mazat, and what they called the Shabuot, which people called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Shabbat. The Roman Catholic Church, I did a teaching on this earlier, they talked about the Pentecost. We don't call it the Pentecost. This is what the New International Dictionary, the Christian Church, says. It says that from early times, Christians kept a track, a memorial of Christ's resurrection. This was held at Passover time and was finally fixed on the Sunday following Passover. Listen, Pentecost was then celebrated at the appropriate time, 50 days between the two were joy, were days of joy and rejoicing. The choice of December 25th in the East is on January the 6th. For the birth of Christ is always certain, is almost certain, because that day was the great pagan day of honor to the sun. Brothers and sisters, we're reading this out of the International Dictionary of the Christian Church. This man writes and says, The choice of December 25th for the birth of Christ is almost certain because that day was the great pagan day of honor to the sun. And in Rome, in the 4th century, it was transformed into a Christian festival. Now, if we're walking in the way of Yahweh, and I'm closing here, why would we even entertain the idea of Ashtar? Why would we even take the time out to argue with pagan worshipers? You cannot argue with what a person believes in. We are to tell them to repent, for the kingdom of Shamahim is at hand. If they don't want to take heed to that, Yahuwah will see to it otherwise. We read it in scriptures time and time again that the dreadful day of Yahuwah will come, and he is only coming for those who kept his what? Number one, his Shabbat, and number two, his ordinances, his appointed feasts, not these holidays. We should be grateful unto Yahweh that he delivered us out of these holidays and into his set-apart Moedim. Lent, Ash Wednesday, none of those are connected to the way of Yahweh. If Yahweh clearly have in Leviticus 23, if he set the Moedim, and we know in Malachi chapter 3, he changes not. Why would man, even in their diabolical mind, come to the conclusion that we can transform his appointed feast and make them our holiday? Christians always say Jesus said it was okay. Not once did he say that. As a matter of fact, in the book of Matthew, he says, I didn't come to destroy Torah. 
or the writings of the prophets. I didn't come to do away with that. I come to show you how it is done. I come to fulfill. I come to teach you how it is done. Constantine, who claimed to be a saint and a pagan god, brought church and state together. And this was done even before him when you talk about the uh, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was able to merge religion and politics efficiently. From the Standard Reference Encyclopedia, 1962, this is what I read in that book. An historical result of the difference that the church, the Christian church in the East, which was closer to the birthplace of the new religion, and in which old traditions were, uh, were strong, they observed Easter according to the date of the Passover festival, while the churches of the West, who were descendants of Greco-Roman descent in civilization, celebrated Easter on a Sunday. The sentiment of the difference was one of the main objects of the Roman emperor, known as Constantine and Covokan. This is what he did with the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. So for those individuals, and I'm closing out here, who wants to rebuke you in the name of Jesus or Jesus, you know that's not going to work, right? We already know that even that name is a fictitious name of the Mashiach. And anything that's fictitious have no power in it. I thank you for listening to Talk, Teach, and Touch by Radio. Tune in Thursday evening at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 4 o'clock p.m. If you're on the West Coast, uh, we will have a new topic that we will be discussing. I'll be talking more about Easter during during our Zoom. We'll do a Zoom later on this evening as well as tomorrow. Um, The Zoom for this evening will start at 7 o'clock p.m., Eastern Standard Time. If you'd like to join us for the Zoom, please email me at talkteachtestify@gmail.com. I will show you evidence to prove that these books that I recited today were true. And we will have our Zoom tomorrow at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I say unto one and say unto all, Shalom. And Shabbat Shalom, this has been another Talk, Teach, and Touch by Instruction. Barak Ahaba, Basham, Yahweh, Baruch be the one who comes in the name of Yahweh. Shalom and Shalom unto one and unto all. <laughs>